when I say aptitude, I mean the ability to connect with people, the ability to study and understand these, you know, core philosophical principles, the ability to understand the science behind it. There's definitely an aptitude there. It's more than just sort of, hey, I like people and we like to chat. So I would explore that. I would find out what, for the kind of psychology I want to do, what what would be the skill sets that were required? Is that something that I could really do? And then you also have, really have to have the interest. Hey, everyone. I'm here today with Cliff, who is a psychologist practicing in California. Uh, Cliff just so happens to be my uncle, and he's a good man with a lot of experience and insight into the profession. So I'm really excited to have him on today. Cliff, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Oh, you're welcome, Jameson. It's great to uh, see you and reconnect. Yeah, it really is. I'm excited to just talk with you even off mic. But as far as the recording goes, let's just jump right into this conversation. Uh, Can you describe your current role in a nutshell for us? Well, I'm in private practice, so you know I'm not working for an organization or a company anymore, and um, I'm just running my own private practice. So my role as a psychologist, I specialize in psychological testing and assessment, which is about 99.9% of what I do. Interesting. And so private practice, uh, psychological testing and assessment, I write reports all the time, and uh, that's pretty much what I do. I'm a psychometrician at heart. Interesting. How long have you been in this field, Cliff? Uh, Since about nine. Well, I became interested in psychology as a college student when I was around 20. And um, I started working at psychiatric hospitals back then, the day when that was more utilized a lot more back then. But um, I've been licensed since 1989. Okay. Let me see. Hang on. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's not right. Uh, yeah, since about 1998, that's what it is, about 1998, I've been licensed, yeah. So a good 24, 25 years licensed as a psychologist. Yeah, and you weren't always a psychometrician, you used to work a little bit for some companies, and can you walk us through just a little bit, like, you know, give us about a minute of career progression. Yeah, I, I went to work for Kaiser Permanente, you know, that's a big insurance company group out here, and I worked on a medical team doing chronic pain management. So, you know, we were physicians, physical therapists, psychologists. I did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. And then I went up into management at Kaiser Permanente, which was pretty intense, pretty involved. So I did management for there. And then I I left there about seven years ago and uh, returned back to private practice. And that's what I've been doing full-time since. Awesome. So private practice now, walk me through kind of a day in your life. What are you, what are you spending all your time doing uh, interviewing and testing patients and then trying to find time to write the reports. That's about it. Uh, so I can give you a, what a schedule might look like. Yeah, that um, would be perfect. Like, like on a, like on a full testing day, if you looked at the, you know, uh, scheduling software, I would start at eight and do an hour and a half intake and planning. So it's kind of figuring out with someone on based on their referral, if they would like, and if it would be helpful to continue with an evaluation and then, uh, someone that I'd seen before for an intake comes in at 9.30 and I do a three-hour block for testing and assessment, take a half-hour lunch, and then I do another three-hour block of testing, and then um, I'll do another hour and a half intake. So that's a full day. That's a really full day. Okay. And they're coming in. Um, are they referred to you from hospitals, from other professionals? Are they coming in on of their own accord? What What are they coming in for? Well, that's a good question because the 
the referrals that I receive come from a few different sources. Okay. And um, I don't know how much of that or how specific you would like yeah, me to as, get. As specific as you want to, yeah. All right. So, well, I do um, eligibility evaluations for the Inland Regional Center, which is a state program for people with developmental disabilities. Okay. And so I'm seeing and diagnosing autism spectrum disorder and intellectual developmental disorder primarily and teasing that out from what could be maybe a mental illness issue and giving opinions, recommendations, eligibility stuff. So that's one big area of work that I do. And then I also do a lot of work for the state doing disability evaluations. Hmm. And that involves testing and opinions regarding, you know, ability to work, disability due to whatever mental disorder. And then I do just private practice referrals from insurance companies. Interesting. So all of that keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Let's talk about how many hours in a week you typically work. What would you give us ballpark wise? Uh, I work a lot. I'm, I probably easily work 50 plus hours a week. Yeah. We're talking right now on yeah. a Sunday afternoon and you're, you're yeah. in your office. So yeah, that, that yeah gives you exactly. Kind of an idea. Obviously I know that some people there's a little bit, you know, there can be flexibility with the work-life balance. Absolutely. People can do it part-time, but yeah. Can you talk a little Absolutely. bit about that? What options are out there? Right. Well, I mean, uh, it's kind of the beauty of it. You know, you can work, you, you know, if you're licensed and you know, you're in private practice, you can set your own schedule. It's really great for that, for that kind of lifestyle. If you work for a company, they kind of own you and you work their schedule, but usually they, they, you know, try to keep it around 40 hours a week. That's typical. Yeah. Uh, if you specialize in private practice, it's kind of like any medical specialty, you know, you just, <laughs> you just have to get the work done, you know? What work environments are available to you? You used to work for Kaiser and now you have your own yeah. private practice. What types of work environments can a psychologist work in? Well, you know, the, the government hires a lot of psychologists on a lot of different levels and it just sort of depends on what your specialty is. You know, if you're doing therapy, what kind of treatment you're doing, there's different mm -hmm. kinds of psychology, um, so I don't know. I just, I think that almost any major insurance company, any major federal or state or county organization, they all hire psychologists. Mm -hmm. um, very common. Do hospitals ever hire psychologists as well? Or are you usually yeah, absolutely. something else? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hospitals definitely hire hospitals, insurance companies. Kaiser owns their own hospital. So, you know, I there see. was a certain amount of hospital work there. Yeah. Cliff, what, let's take a step back here real quick. What education did you have to get for this job? What's the minimum level that you would need to be a practicing psychologist? And then uh, what's possible to get? Well, the big umbrella is mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. So there are various ways into mental health treatment and you can, you can start at the master's level. You can get licensed and start as a professional um, psychologist, a marriage family therapist with a master's degree, bachelor's and a master's degree. At least in California, it's, it's a state-by-state state regulation. Got it. If you want to do traditional psychology work, then, you know, it requires a PhD and a, a license, psychology license. So you're now in private practice. You do a lot of psychometric testing. What percentage of your time do you think you spend on tasks that are not face-to-face -face with a patient? What, what else is a part of the job? Well, you know, I'll, I'll spend... Um, three to four hours with a patient. And then it probably takes me one to three hours to do a report. Interesting. So a lot of writing. That's kind of, that's kind of the breakdown. Yeah. I'm writing, you know, my reports are 10, 15 pages and, you know, it takes a while to put those together and reason them out. 
And who do those reports go to? Like who actually ends up reading those? A psychiatrist? Is it a, is a, somebody on the government, yeah. you know, some board? What, where does that go? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It depends on the referral source. It goes back to the referral source. Um, okay. You know, whoever the gatekeeper is that refer the patient. So I have, you know, social workers reading them. I have disability analysts reading them, sometimes judges reading them, yeah. um, you know, to help making determinations. I work really closely with some psychiatrists and nurse practitioners helping with diagnostic differentials. And so after I write the report, they'll kind of look at my report and see if they think that they need to go a different direction with medication. So it could be clinical, could be more forensic, depends on who's asking for the assessment. That makes sense. Talk to me about your process a little bit. You're sitting down with a patient, you know, for about three hours ish and you're running these tests. Are you talking to them? Is it mostly a conversation? Is it a lot of like written observation? What are you doing? Well, you know, um, there's a standard protocol for testing, depending on the um, referral question and the, you know, diagnostic question I'm trying to answer. And so a battery of tests, yeah, I'm administering tests. Now, We've really come into the current century with testing because I used to carry these large kits around with all kinds of manipulatives that I would put on the table and have patients, you know, work on blocks and look at pictures and do all kinds of stuff. But now I just carry a couple iPads and (laughs) all (laughs) my tests are on the iPad and I just, you know, go through there. And then the the real beauty of that is that the uh, computer scores everything up for me, which used to be extremely time consuming to, you know, come up with T scales and V scale scores and (laughs) standard scores, you know, now it's like, I get these these beautiful graphs and everything scored immediately. And so I can just go and do other stuff. That's good. You don't have to spend all your time on statistics. That is helpful. Oh yeah, exactly. Just, just interpreting them. Yeah. What, what kind of software is it? Is it a proprietary software that you guys have, or is it like kind of industry? um... Yeah, no, I mean, you know, Pearson assessments, they have a couple of programs that, you know, I buy a license it gives me access to all the testing and it's really cool. So they, they put together these protocols that I'm able to purchase every time I use one, I have to pay them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But uh, yeah, but that is made it, that has made it a really good process to be able to digitize everything and move it into the current modern, you know, computer world. Interesting. Any other job duties that people might not realize as part of what a psychologist typically does? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of consulting that goes on. It's just, you know, people asking you to help them figure out what might be going on. Or if you have an impression about a particular issue with, with somebody or can, you know, like, can you help me figure out this aspect of a person's care? So there's, I would say that I would say that, you know, there's a lot of like consulting and feedback and discussions and case, case review and that kind of thing, which which is kind of cool. It's not directly with the patient, but it helps with their overall treatment. That makes sense. What ages do you work with? All ages? Do you work a lot with kids? You know, I could break it down probably by percentage. Um, I would say about 50% of my work is with young children, little guys that are as young as two and a half. And that, that age group between about two, two and a half to about six is a big part of my work because I'm looking at whether or not someone has autism. And that's usually when it's coming that's up. When you start to see the signs if it's there. Right. Yeah. That's when it shows up. So I'm seeing that. And then, then the question about ADHD comes up a lot. That seems mm. to be the real big focus these days. People are trying to figure out issues around that. And so I'll do assessment and testing for that. And that you're a little bit older usually by about that time, seven to 12. Uh-huh. 
usually looking at that. And then, um, and then I would say maybe, you know, another large percentage is uh, adults, teenagers and adults. So yeah, all the way, I don't do a lot of really elderly people. There's a whole sub world of test uh, working with, you know, dementia and the elderly population. That's not really my, my area. So I'm usually done by around 65. Yeah. How do you settle into a niche and a specialization and area? Do you have any advice for somebody who's maybe a psychology student up and coming and they're trying to pick, what do I specialize in? Or do I even specialize? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, man, I think I th- this happened to me when I was in school because I, um, you know, I thought I would go into being a therapist, the traditional way that people think, That's oh, I'm going to you know, sit down of. and talk. Exactly. And as I was going through graduate school, you know, I just was exposed to all of the all of the testing and that whole process. And then I was working in hospitals and there were some psychologists who were coming and doing testing and that just looked really interesting to me. So it almost feels like a puzzle. I like doing that. Yeah. So I just liked that in a way therapy is a challenge because you don't ever completely solve usually an issue. You sort of mm-hmm. work with people and they, they might get better. They might not get better. Um, but with testing, man, it's like mowing your lawn. You're, you're done. You know, you're finished, you turn in your beautiful report and it looks, you know, you know, everything's <laughs> awesome and you're, and you're done. Yeah. You have, <laughs> like your, that you have your assessment. That is, yeah. yeah. The, the feeling of completion is exactly. Of I love that. And that's not very common in this field, but you can get it with this. That's interesting. <laughs> what would you say is the most challenging part of your job, at least in your current specialization or just being a psychologist in general? Wow, just keeping up with the work and so much yeah. work, you know, is, is out there and trying to just maintain healthy boundaries and schedules. And that gets out of whack really easily for me. So I always have to, you know, really think about, you know, setting schedules that are that are good and that are healthy. That's how it is for me. But that 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 has more to do with my personality, I think, than psychology in general. I just was meeting with um, someone and they were a psychologist and she works three days a week. Yeah. So it's, so it's for that's you, for that, me. That's, that's a struggle your particular for me. struggle, yeah. but it's not necessarily specific to psychology. Do you see any common struggles that are rampant throughout the profession? Like for instance, do people ever have trouble kind of separating or are there any negative externalities that affect your life as a psychologist? I mean, they really work with us in training in graduate school to learn how to turn off you know, the engine and the mind and leave work at work. And as a therapist, that's really important. There are techniques to do that. And some people can do that well. For me, I, you know, what, what can be really challenging is if I have a patient who is either, you know, suicidal or homicidal Mm. as a really sometimes, or if there's, there's active abuse going on when those kinds of things come up, it requires a real vigilance in responding to that, that, you know, can be, that can be really stressful. I mean, that just is like a bomb on your day, you know, and you just got to, you just got to really put everything else aside and deal with those things at yeah. its fullest, you know. Is there a protocol that you have for when you're dealing with somebody who's suicidal or homicidal? Like, is there a, is there oh, a for sure. playbook for that? Absolutely. You know, there's, there, you, you know, there's a standard of practice for assessing for those, those risk factors. You have to assess the risk factors and make a determination and you're allowed to, you know, violate conf- their confidentiality to keep them safe or keep other people safe. Which is that's a big one deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like doing that, but you know, you have to look at the entire big picture. So that's a, that can be a hard one. I think sometimes when there's a lot of, when there's active abuse or I see kids that are, that are mistreated or abused, that's, 
that's always a hard one. You yeah. know, you gotta, oh you gotta, you know, deal with that. And that I don't watch movies about that stuff. Yeah. You know, but just because I don't, I don't need any more of it. You don't need you know? more of so it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need more of that. So, so you know, I, I would say those are things that, you know, you just get exposed to a lot and it's, it's very stressful and it's very sad and it's very hard, but it's just, you know, you're face to face with those populations sometimes. Yeah. How often are you exposed to it? Weekly, daily, monthly? Is no. It- but I mean, obviously it, it weighs on you heavily yeah. when it happens. So it may yeah. feel any amount is too much probably. You know, I would say a really severe case or something that really is, you know, really intense needs immediate action, maybe once a month, once every couple months, once a quarter, something like that. But I'm assessing for it all the time. You know, right. <laughs> I'm always looking at it and, and, and taking a look at it and, and walking people through those yeah. issues. Yeah. You have to be kind of aware of it and alert, yep. you know, so mm-hmm. even, even if it's not happening, you're kind of like, yeah. is it around the corner? You're kind of yeah. trying to take a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Cliff, what do you think are stereotypes about the job or just conceptions that people think about the job that are either true or not true? I think I will. There's a couple of stereotypes that I, I think that are out in the public, like, you know, Lucy sitting at psychiatrist is in lemonade stand five cents, uh-huh. you know, and then Charlie Brown comes up and says, I'm depressed. And she looks bored and she goes, she goes, get over it. <laughs> Walks away worse <laughs> off, you know, <laughs> that's a stereotype, right? You know, yep. I think of Bob Hope, you know, and they're all sitting around, you know, jaw- jawing each other and, mm-hmm. you know, all that's that, I've never seen anything like either of those <laughs> those things. The other stereotype I think is that, you know, my father-in-law gets me on this all the time. He's like, so how do you feel about that? You know, and yeah. I, I never ask that question, but everyone thinks that's what a therapist does is ask you how you feel about that. Interesting. <laughs> what do they ask? Cause that's, that's a stereotype that I would imagine they, they do. ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, feelings are important, but it's not always just totally a focus on feelings. That's, that's sort of the therapy department a little yeah. bit, but you know, you ask people sort of to talk about what their stressors are and, you know, what, what their history is. And it's more of those kinds of things. Interesting. Is there anything that you wish that you knew about the job or the industry in general, when you were first starting out, like with as much experience as you have, if you could talk to your 22 or 24 year old self and give him some advice, what do you think you would warn him about? Tell him about. I mean, I think I knew this, but I think you have to really go in with your eyes wide open that, that it takes a lot of schooling. Yeah, I mean, if you're at that point, if you're in your late teens, early 20s, you're thinking about doing this, you really have to be the kind of person who, you know, can do the education part of it. Yeah. It, yeah. So that that's a bummer. You know, I mean, I was in my early 30s before my career really started taking off. Other people or their careers are taking off in their early 20s. So I'm already behind 10 years, you know, so you, you really it's a big sacrifice to get to get to that point. How long does that education process take? Like what's the fastest you've ever seen somebody do it? And what's more typical? I mean, you know, probably probably eight years would be on the full-time hardcore school from, you know, bachelor's to PhD, maybe eight years. Typical is probably eight to 10. Yeah, that sounds about right. Who do you think would be a good fit for being a psychologist? And then do you ever see people that go into the field and then realize, oh, this is not for me at all? Who would you steer away from psychology? Well, yeah, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. You know, I mean, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, from a personality standpoint, it would be good to be conscientious, to have, be high on, behind the C scale and the big five yep. industrious and be willing to put the work in, but you're not going to get through that much school if you don't have that. So that usually, that usually kind of filters out a lot of people. Out earlier. Exactly. And then um, I think that would be really important. 
it's all kinds of people in psychology. I have friends that are colleagues that are nerdy. I have colleagues that are fun. I've got colleagues that are all over the place. So really, it, it is a very eclectic group. So I think anybody could do it if they were interested. Yeah. yeah. More about a matter of passion and willingness to put in the work. Yeah. Than, oh, you've got to be, you know, a feelings-based, right. empathetic type person. No. You know, like, no. Interesting. What would you say is your favorite part of the workday? What do you look forward to the most? Wow. You know, I just really enjoy spending time with people on a deep level. And when I get, it's more like when I get home and I think about my day, I'm like, wow, that was a really interesting person. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was a, I, and I'm amazed at the resilience that so many people have, you know, what they've been through. And then they're like, they're affected by it, you know, and it has, it plays a, a big effect on their life, but people are tough, you know, and I just love to hear that, you know? Yeah. So I like that. I like that. I totally get that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's on a much, much smaller scale, but this podcast has been that for me. I love deep conversations that go, you know, hours long if we've got the time. These, <laughs> these typically go an hour or less, but um, yeah, it's so fun to really dig into people and like see what makes them tick, see what they've been through and get their story. I I find that endlessly fascinating. I could do that for forever. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That, yeah. that is by far the best part. And just really kind of creating a space uh, where somebody comes in that's safe and confidential and having the skills and ability to, you know, get them to open up without doing too much, you know, finding that nice balance between, you know, an appropriate level of share and, and, um, and, you know, getting sort of to the truth of things. And if you do that well, it's actually a really rewarding yeah. thing to do. I like that. Cliff, what would you say is your relationship to other professionals in your field? How closely are you working with psychiatrists, other psychologists, reviewing other people's reports? Are, are you kind of, once you're established, you're kind of a lone wolf or is it a lot of collaboration? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, the majority of work is, is lone wolf work. What I do here, private practices can very much be like that, but I'm pretty connected with a lot of my colleagues and friends that I've known over the years, keep up with them and consult with them. I, I have a few friends I actually talk to on a regular basis about cases, you know, yeah. some of the private practice, uh, one, one, one day a week, I do a group based private practice um, where I'm kind of the guy who comes in and does testing for the, for the clinic. And it's cool, you know, interacting with all of the other therapists and psychiatrists and everybody in here, you know, so it's a combination of both. And I, I like both actually. Yeah, that's good. I think both are okay. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the career progression of a typical psychologist. Do they typically, once they're fully out of school, start a private practice right away? Do they go into insurance? Is there is there a typical career path or does it kind of go sky's the limit? You can branch out any direction. Wow. Well, I think that, you know, I'm, as you say that, I'm thinking about the different camps that you can go into. You know, you can, there's a great need for psychologists in all the institutions from schooling to government to, you know, hospitals and that kind of insurance company. So that's something. And then within those institutions, there's always room to grow. Like, like I said earlier, I went from being sort of a, you know, team clinician to getting sort of promoted over to um, a manager of another clinic mm -hmm. and building that one up. And so that, and that got me to management and learning all about medical management. And that's, I never saw that coming, but it happened and it was pretty good. 
And then there's the private practice world, you know, and that has a lot to do with your own ability to run a business, really. Yeah. And some people have that and some people don't. If you don't have that, then it's not, it's probably not for you. There's a lot to manage when you're in private practice, but you know, some people do it really well. What about, talk to me a little bit about compensation ranges. What, what could somebody expect early in their career, middle career, late career? Yeah, it's not, it's not as great as you'd think. I don't think. Based off of how um, much schooling you have to put in at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And, and then what they offer starting people. But, you know, if you go, if you go into industry or, or, you know, like government or industry, you know, you're probably in California be starting between, you know, 60 and 90 a year. You can make substantially more in private practice, but that assumes that you're able to build up and manage a private practice. And, you know, you know, you end up in the mid probably 100s, mid high 100s in industry with benefits and then probably higher than that in private practice without benefits. So that's good. And some people, you know, break the curve on that, you know, I mean, there are people that, that are making a lot more than that. And, and some people make a lot less. So it, the gap, the variance in how much people make, I think is significant. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, Cliff. So obviously you got to protect confidentiality between you and your clients, but I'm sure you have some fascinating stories about just either working in the industry itself or different things that you've come across over the years. Do you have any funny or interesting stories that you would want to share? I know my dad said I needed to ask you that question because he's like, oh, he, Cliff's got the greatest stories. So do you have one or two that you could share? Uh, I don't know. I, I was thinking what, what made me laugh? When, when did I really have a good belly laugh or something like that? And I had this really cool little three-year-old guy that <laughs> was so charismatic, this little guy with autism. And, and uh, he's like, thank you, grandpa. <laughs> Call me grandpa. <laughs> What? <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, that's the perspective, you know, of a yeah. kid. Right? Got called grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else come to mind or pretty much that one recently? Uh, pretty much that. <laughs> that's okay. That's good. I like yeah. that. All right. So I have one kind of final main question, but before we go there, did we miss anything that you feel like would be important to know for somebody who's trying to make the decision, should I go into psychology or if they've already chosen to just any thoughts for them? I, I think that if you, you, well, here's what I think about going into psychology actually, is that really consider whether you have the aptitude and the interest. I think both are important. So when I say aptitude, I mean the ability to connect with people, the ability to study and understand these, you know, core philosophical principles, the ability to understand the science behind it. There's definitely an aptitude there. It's more than just sort of, hey, I like people and we like to chat. So I would explore that. I would find out what for the kind of psychology I want to do, what what would be the skill sets that were required? Is that something that I could really do? And then you also have really have to have the interest. Yeah. Because because it is a long road to, you know, the idea to completion of licensure and then and then, you know, figuring out your vocation in the field. So I would I would say just explore those two things and really think about them a lot before you commit to this level of, you know, involvement. That's good. I meant to ask this actually beforehand. Talk to me a little bit about licensure. Once you've obviously taken all the education required and you've got the degrees needed, what's the final step? Do you take an exam? Is it kind of like defending a PhD? Do you go before a board and like yeah. defend your thesis? What What is involved with yeah. that? Well, okay. So, you know, you go to a, it's state regulated. So every state is a little bit different, but it does 
a psychologist does require a PhD um, or a PsyD in California. Now it's called a PsyD. The PhD is a little more research based. Mm-hmm. PsyD is more practice based. So your training is, is focused on what, what your interest is. Yeah. So between sort of about the time you're about to defend your dissertation and by the time you sit for your licensing board, you need to do 3000 hours of supervised training. Wow. And so that's a big commitment, you know, so you have to get light, you have to get supervised for 3000 hours. How do you do that? Is that usually set up through your school? It's usually, it's usually set up to the school or you can do clinic based. I did um, community mental health uh, basis and um, some, and I worked with a forensic psychiatrist, which is where I really started getting my interest in this, the area I'm in. But I did, I started some of that during the, um, the training period. So 3000 hours and you do, you get it through school and there's programs and, you can become a psych assistant and work in private practice in that in that way, or you can, um, you know, work at a clinic. There's a lot of different ways, but you have to get supervised. And then you um, then you take a test, and you know you have to take an ethics test and a psychology test. And the the psychology test, I believe, is a national test. It's the same test that's sort of given across the board. Yeah. But California has the requirements for an ethics requirement, so you have to be able to answer. When I went through, you had to sit for a you know, you had to sit for a, um, a one-on-one, well, three-on-one exam and answer questions, you know, and you had to get through that first and then then you could get licensed. So, but but then, you know, you pass those and you've done your 3,000 hours and you register with the Board of Psychology. And then every two years, you have to re-register with them and complete 36 hours of continuing education to keep it up to date. And that's the process. Gotcha. That's so interesting. Ah, oh, man, I feel like we could talk for another another two hours about your job. I feel like there's so many different avenues, but we'll leave it there. I'm sure I'm going to be talking with more psychologists in the future, or maybe I would even have you back on just to cover some more things, but I know we're a little limited okay. on time, but I have one more question for you. At the very end, I always ask this one. Um, what's the best practical advice you'd give to someone who wants to do what you do? Let's say they finished listening to this podcast. What would be the next step? Do you have any specific books that they would read, websites to check out? Where would you send them? I mean, the biggest challenge is going to be, you know, where are you going to go to school and what, what is that path? Cause there are a few different ways to do that. So I would, I would look into that and see what, you know, and start learning about what program leads to the licensure mm-hmm. because without licensure, you really are not marketable if you, if it's a vocation. Yeah. And so I would really, I would really like focus on schooling and work to see about that would be the first step I think that I would do. Any specific thing that they should look for in a college or university? Just to make sure that the requirements allow you to sit for the licensing board. Okay. I think that would be, you know, the most, that would be the question that you would want to ask for sure. Gosh, psychology is so popular and so varied. There are a lot of great books and a lot of great websites that that you can go on. You might want to look at the American Psychological Association. There are a lot of, you know, articles on there and a lot of supports for people who are thinking about getting into the field. If you're, you can look at the California Psychological Association. They have some really great information on their website. So I might, I might look at those. Those are going to give you really straight answers, really good information about what actually goes on in the field. And they come kind of close to the source. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's I good. Those, I think that would be maybe an area I would start. Awesome. Well, great. I feel like I learned so much. Cliff, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. And I'm excited to get this one edited and released. Hey, you're welcome, Jameson. It's great uh, catching up with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe, and I'll catch you next time.